Gentlemen, if we hope to accomplish anything at all tonight, it is to magnify Jesus as King of all kings, to hold high his name, to hold high his cause. Thank you for gathering together tonight to give me an opportunity to study the scriptures with you. You can already look at the slide behind me. You see all the titles that we're presenting this weekend. You already know that tonight's lesson is about edification. And many of you already have the outline. You've got the outline, but now we're going to preach what's in that outline. And if you want to follow along in the scriptures, all the verses that we'll use tonight are listed in the outline. Tomorrow morning in the Bible class hour, we'll be talking about the gathering. Why we gather together. What's God's intent and purpose for us gathering. And then in the worship hour tomorrow, great churches do great things. If we want to have a wonderful future in the kingdom of God and, and see the church to grow and prosper, there are seven things, even eight, that I would suggest that we need to do. And then finally, tomorrow night, whether you have the outline tonight or not before the lesson or tomorrow morning before the lesson, I want you to have the outline tomorrow night as we talk about the man who began to build, Luke chapter 14, because it's going to be an interactive outline. As we go along, I want you to answer some questions. So please plan on that for tomorrow night. Well, tonight, tonight I want to begin in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. And this scripture has two words that I want you to pay attention to. Something that happened in these churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. The scripture says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Multiplied means to increase in number. These churches were growing in strength and they were growing in their numbers. People were being added to the Lord. But notice the other word, edified. That comes from a word which means house builder. The church was being built up like a house might be. Uh, this afternoon, we drove by a house that was in the process of being built up. A two-story house. You could see how one part supports the other. And that's really what we do as Christians. We edify one another. The churches were being built up to be stronger. When we think of, glory, uh, of growing churches today, we've got to think of more than just churches that are multiplying. It's great to have conversions. We need more and more conversions. But we need also to think about this idea of being edified. I'm convinced that not enough attention have been, has been given to this vital work of edification. Edification, that's what we're talking about tonight. Not enough attention has been given to it, and yet... Edification is to be at the very heart of our interaction with one another in the local church. I'm suggesting tonight that edification is God's powerful transformer. By that I mean edification is intended by God to change your life. To take you from where you used to be and to bring you to where God wants you to be. And that's what we're going to explore in the course of the evening tonight. Uh, as we begin tonight, though, I want us to emphasize what it is. We need to understand what edification is. I mentioned to you last night at the close that some people, they hear the word edification and they think, oh, no, this is just going to put us to sleep. You know, it's about those dull, dry, boring Bible classes 
where the guy gets up and reads three verses and says, well, looks like to me, means what it says, says what it means. Any question? No question? Let's read the next three verses. Well, that's not edification, my friends. That's not. It's something more than that. Edification is more than just going through learning exercises. You know, in some churches, it seems to me that everybody knows the questions, everybody's got all the answers, but hardly anyone knows the point. And the point of it all, that's what's really significant, isn't it? What is the point of our Bible study? Why do we want to grow? Why do we want to learn? So let, let's talk about the word edification for a moment. And I'm going to suggest that it means building up, like a building might be. And so think in terms of something that is growing, something that is getting bigger, uh, that within our own lives we're growing up in the Lord. In fact, I want you to turn with me to our first scripture tonight that we're going to look at in the substance of the lesson. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. And it doesn't take very much reading here to see that this is about growing up. It's about growing up in Christ. It's about maturity. It's about being what God wants us to be. I'm starting in verse number 11. This is talking about when the Lord ascended back to heaven, that He gave certain gifts unto men. It, it begins in verse 11 by saying, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and pastors and teachers. All of these works that he speaks of, these four or five different responsibilities in the church, these are all about teaching in one way or another. Why did he give these things? It is for the equipping of the saints. What for? For the work of ministry. These things are given, these teaching works are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry in order that the body of Christ might be edified. These things are given for the edifying, building up of the body of Christ. Now watch, watch the next verse. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man. That word perfect is not talking about you being sinlessly perfect. It's talking about you being full-grown. It's talking about you being mature, full-grown, whole, complete, what God wants you to be. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to suggest this, that understanding this text, that it's about us coming to maturity in Christ, I'm going to give a definition then to edification. And at home, we have taught our people to memorize this definition. That edification is the application of Bible truth to my life and my circumstances so that I am more like Christ. God wants me to be like His Son. And until I apply the Bible to myself where I live... And, and by that I mean my interaction with my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my neighbors, my brethren, everyone around me, my own personal morality, my own faith, all these things that involve my life, all the elements of my life, God wants me to be like His Son. So edification is the application. Taking the Bible, these truths and applying them, infusing these with, within my heart, absorbing these truths. Application of Bible truth to my life, my circumstances, whether life is good or whether it's hard, whether it's easy 
or whether it's challenging, whether I have much or I have little, applying the scriptures in every circumstance of life, when I'm at peace with everyone around me or if I'm in conflict with people around me, applying the Bible to my circumstances. And look, folks, if we're not applying the Bible to our circumstances of life, then we're not being edified. Someone says, well, I, I've learned a lot of scripture and I've got a lot of verses memorized. That's wonderful that you have memorized a lot of scripture. But there has to be application. And only with application are, are we going to be more like the Lord Jesus. Back in 1982, I did a gospel meeting in Austin, Texas. And that's where the American Atheist Group was, was headquartered at that time. Now, those of you who are older like me, you will remember Madeline Murray O'Hare. She was the most famous atheist of the previous generation. She's the one who worked to get prayer out of the public schools. You understand that. Madeline O'Hare was headquartered there in Austin, Texas. And one of the elders from the uh, church there took me over to the American Atheist headquarters and actually got to meet Miss O'Hare. And, you know, I'd seen her a number of times on TV. She was always mean and gruff on TV. But in person, she was like anybody else. Madeline O'Hare has lots of scriptures memorized. She may, she may have known more verses from the Bible than you know. But she didn't apply, that, didn't apply it to her life. The fact that she had verses memorized didn't make her like Jesus. Because there has to be the application. By the way, Madeline O'Hare is now a believer in God. Did you know that? She now believes in God. You see, she was murdered a few years ago. Everyone, when they die, they, everyone realizes there is a God when they die. But she was murdered. But in her life, knowing verses from the Scripture never made her like Jesus. You know that. And so there has to be the application of Bible truth in our lives, in our circumstances, to make us like the Lord Jesus. You, see, that, you remember the verses we looked at last night, like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Look, if we're not being made like Jesus, we're not giving God the glory that He deserves. That's got to be a part of what our lives are about. So we need to understand what it is. Now we're going to come back to this definition. But the second thing I want you to understand is that it has power. It is God's power generator. That's why at the top of the outline it says edification, God's powerful transformer. And you see, as long as we think that Edification is just having Bible class answers and having a few verses memorized without the power produced by application. We're never going to get very far in our mission. Remember last night we talked about our mission? We're on a mission from God. And our mission from God is to spread the gospel. Not just here in the valley, but throughout the whole world. But we've got to have application in order to be successful at that. I believe that edification is the prerequisite power to seeking the lost. We started this evening with Acts chapter 9. I'm going to slip back over there again. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. where And, and there's a... I, I want you to see these two words again. 
in 931 of Acts, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Okay, so we're saying that these people now, these groups of, of disciples, that they're applying the scriptures to their lives and circumstances so that they are more like Christ. But what's the result? These people are edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Notice what followed edification. Edification is followed by multiplication. I'm turning the page in my Bible to chapter 11 of Acts and verse 22. Now this is talking about the spread of the gospel. The gospel now has gone as far as the city of Antioch. And when the church of Jerusalem hears that the gospel has gone there, they're going to send some men there to help with the gospel. And so in verse 22, it says, News of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now, look at what happened when Barnabas got there. Verse 23 says, When he came and had seen the grace of God, that is, he had seen the effect of the gospel in this city, he was glad, and he encouraged them all, that with purpose of heart they would continue with the Lord. You see that? I think those three words or three phrases there at the end of verse 23 are about edification. He's encouraging them. What's he encouraging them in? He is encouraging them to continue with the Lord. But notice the means or the manner in which he is encouraging them that with purpose of heart, he is telling these people they need to be intentional in, in continuing with the Lord. This is edification. He is urging them in God's ways. And what was the result? It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. No, the word edification is not in our text there, but the principle is certainly in that text. And what was the result? A great many people were added to the Lord. Let me tell you, folks, edification is not a math term. But it might as well be, because when you've got edification, what takes place? Well, we saw additions to the Lord, and in the other place we saw multiplication. So multiplication and addition happens when edification takes place. That means that edification is powerful. It is God's power generator. And why is it that Jesus puts such a premium on winning souls, and yet very few souls seem to be one, one to the Lord? Maybe it's because we are not being built up to be like Jesus. Folks, the more you and I are like Jesus, the more we will talk to other people about the gospel, the more we will invite folks to come to Bible studies or set up home Bible studies. We've got to talk to people. That's what Jesus did. Everywhere Jesus went, he's talking to people about God. The more you become like Jesus, the more you will do that, the more I will do that. So what is edification? It is the application of Bible truth to my life and circumstances so that I am more like Christ. Someone says, well, you've already said that three times, Max. And I may say it three more times before the lesson is done. Because I want this to be burned into your mind. You go forth from this place, you're going to be mindful that edification is the application of Bible truth to your life and circumstances so that you are more like the Lord Jesus. But here's the third thing I want you to understand about edification. That is, it is the solution to most of the problems that we face. Have you ever heard of the Bickering Boulevard Church of Christ? 
the church over on Trouble Road, the church of Christ that meets over on Division Lane. You know, some churches might as well have those very names because that's what they're about. Bickering, trouble, and division. We face problems of division and there are reasons for it. I think the most fundamental reason for division is not that we're divided over biblical issues, though sometimes we are. We're often divided just because we can't get along with one another. And if there's any people on the planet who ought to be able to get along with one another, it is people who are disciples of the Lord Jesus. When we all begin to think like Jesus, make our lives like the Son of God, we're going to be able to get along with one another much, much more. You know, the, the church at Corinth, if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth was a troubled church. I mean, you go through the book, and we can't do this tonight, but you could go chapter by chapter through this book, and it reads like a catalog of church problems. You want to know about church problems? Read 1 Corinthians, because it's one problem after another, after another, all the way through, all the way through chapter 15, and even touching on that in 16. Here's what Paul said to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he's talking about the fact that these people are divided, they're fussing and being ugly with one another. He says, I, brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you're still not able. Why not? Why could they not receive strong food? He said, because you're still carnal. For whereas there is among you envy, strife, and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? He says, you're behaving like the people out there. And you shouldn't be acting like that. Now, what's the answer to that? Well, what Paul does throughout the course of these 16 chapters, he takes the principles of Christ and applies these things to their lives and their circumstances so that they are more like Christ. And that's the answer that we face today when we find brethren who are bickering and fighting with one another. We need to apply God's truth to our lives. When we say, when we see trouble, you know what we do? We, we say, well, we got trouble in the church and I guess it's kind of a reflection of our times. You know, it's just the way society is today. People are ugly and, and mean-spirited to one another. Well, people in society might be, but brethren, we ought not to be like that. We're better than that. God has made us for better purposes than that. We blame attitudes. We blame dispositions. We, we have all sorts of reasons for, uh, for casting blame and saying, this is why we have trouble. But bottom line, the problem is, we're not made like Jesus. If our lives are modeled after the Son of God, the more we are like Jesus, the more likely we are to get along with one another. And this really goes beyond church problems. You know, preachers get up like Max or Brother Warren or Mike, and we bemoan the fact that there's so much worldliness among God's people. That people aren't reading the Bible like they should. That God's children are not praying like they ought to. And that there's a lack of trust in God. But what are we really saying? We're saying people are not like Jesus. 
God wants you to be like Jesus. God has a plan for your life. You know, everybody seems to, everybody in our culture today that's religious, they say, oh, I just wish I knew what God's plan was for my life. And what they're wanting is some special message from God that says, okay, I want you to do these three things, and et cetera, et cetera, and, and you'll be what I want you to be. But God's already told us in his word what he wants us to be. He wants us to be like Jesus. You want to see the plan of God for your life? Turn in your Bible to Romans, the eighth chapter, and you might want to underline this simple little phrase. Here in Romans chapter eight, and in verses 28 to 30, in this section, the apostle is looking at God's scheme of redemption as though it's completed. Uh, he, he speaks of it like it's in the past tense, like it's already completed. And if we follow God's will, it's just that certain as though it was already completed. But in verse 29, there's the phrase I want you to see. Whom God foreknew, he also pre predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see that right in the middle of the verse? God wants you to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's why you've got warnings like in Romans chapter 12, where it says, Be not conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word form means fashion or shape. The way you're put together. God wants to put you together in another way. And He wants you to be with the shape of Christ. The word conformed is a, is a compound word. Con, which is actually Latin in origin, it simply means with. What is chili con queso? Chili with cheese. Chili con carne, chili with meat. Con means with. God wants you to be with the form of Jesus. That's God's plan for your life, that you be conformed to Jesus. And you know how that happens? It happens by you being edified. Because edification is the application of Bible truth to your life and circumstances so that you are more like Christ. That's what God wants to see in you. Listen, you want to give glory to God? Notice at the top of the slide, glory to our God. And I've never seen any Christian yet who said, oh, I don't want to give glory to God. We want to give glory to God. If you want to give glory to God, then you apply the scripture to your life and circumstances to make you more like Jesus. And the more you are conformed to Jesus Christ, the more glory you will give to God. My friends, the power of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ resides in your coming together to do the work of Christ. Why? Because your lives have been transformed to be like that of Jesus. That's where your power is. So, we need to understand what edification is, that it has power, and it's the solution to virtually all the problems that we face. But we've got, to know what, we've got to know what constitutes edification. And how do we get to this point of being more like Christ? Well, I'm suggesting now that there are three elements. If you've got your worksheet there, you see what the three elements are. The first one has to do with truth. This is the what. This is the what we should do. You're going to be built up by God's truth. Jesus said, and he's speaking to disciples. This is in John chapter 8. He's speaking to some Jews who believed in him. And here's what he said in John 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. False doctrine never made anyone more like Jesus. Truth 
you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. And so false doctrine is not going to help us. And we've got to be militant in teaching God's truth. We don't compromise God's truth, not to the right or to the left. We stand firm on the scripture, on the word of God. You've got preachers like Mike or Brother Warren. They stand firm on the word of God. They don't compromise on the plan of salvation. They don't compromise uh, on the inspiration of the scriptures. They don't compromise on doctrines about God, about Jesus, who he is, or about the Holy Spirit. They don't compromise on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They don't compromise on church discipline. Stand for truth. Because that's the only way we can make people to be like Jesus. This is God's guidebook to make you like Jesus, okay? So that's the first element. That's the what. That's the what we should do. We learn the truth as to what God wants us to do. But secondly, there's the element of motivation. And the word motivation is an interesting word. Motivation, if you look at it, it's actually two words. It sort of looks like two words. You've got first the word motive, which is related to the word motor, you got here tonight, unless you walked or came by bicycle, you got here in an automobile or a truck, and that's got a motor. That's what makes it go. Motivation is what makes you go. That's what makes you do what you're supposed to do. Motivation. It's like your motive for action. That's the idea. You've got a motive for action. And folks, I'll tell you, we've got motive. We know what God has promised in this book. And what we're doing tonight is trying to urge folks to get ready for heaven. But heaven is what we're aiming for. That's where we intend to go. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 14, the scripture says, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. We want to go into that city. That's why we do His commandments. We do His commandments because God has held something out before us. That's our motivation. In fact, we have other motivation. We're, we're motivated to obey God because we want to give Him glory. But even in giving Him glory, God promises us heaven. We know what we're doing and we know why we're doing it. You know, sometimes people say, well, I, you know, coming to church, that's, you know, that's what being a Christian is about. That's part of it. Gathering for worship. We'll talk more about that tomorrow morning in the Bible class hour. Gathering for worship is critically important in our lives. But this isn't the end of it all. When we're, when we're done with... Am I dropping this? I'm sorry. When we're done with worship, we're only part way home. We want to be home with God. Oh, for a home with God, a place in His courts to rest... Sure in a safe abode with Jesus and the blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's our motivation. But there's a third element that we've got to hit on, and that is equipping. That's getting the saints ready. That's teaching them how to do. We just saw the passage a few moments ago in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 12, where it said that these teaching ministries are given ultimately for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the work of ministry. But it starts by saying, for the equipping of the saints, we need to be equipped. This is the what we're going to, this is how we do something. This is about training people how to accomplish God's mission. It, this is instruction on right living. You know, we can stand up in the pulpit and, and we can blast worldliness and we can peel the paint off the walls we speak so strongly. 
But we've got to go beyond that. We've got to teach people about not just what's wrong in, in this life. We've got to teach people about what's right and how to live right. How to support one another. How to help the weak. How to help others grow. And look folks, this thing of edification, it is not... Listen carefully. It is not just about me being built up. It's about me reaching out to my brother in Christ and building him up. And strengthening him. We edify one another. And so we equip one another. That's why, that's why we have Bible classes. That's, we try to urge one another in the way of God. You know, preaching is wonderful. But I, I've known... Now, over the past 50 years that I've been preaching, I've seen that most of the edification takes place in Bible classes. When you get down to cases, and, and when people ask questions, then there's interaction back and forth. Uh, Brother Warren, I don't understand how this verse applies. Well, let me explain it to you, says Warren. And, and here now is the application and urging people to go out and to do the things that are found in the Scripture. These three things, these are at least three elements that make up edification. It's the idea of truth. That's what we're going to do. Motivation, that's why we do it. Equipping is how we do it. And if you've got the outline, there, there's a fourth element there. And you can look at that on your own. Look at those verses I've got. It just has to do with our interaction with one another. You know there's something wonderful that happens when we gather for worship. Somehow our interaction with one another... And our urging one another in spiritual things helps build us up. We could do a whole lesson just on that. But I, I've got my third major point, and that is what you can do. You want to get involved in edification? Here you go. First thing is demand quality preaching. That means pointed preaching, listen, that makes application to the lives of the hearers. It doesn't do any good for a man to get up and, and preach truth without application. One elder in a church said this. He said, our, our preacher is like a professional baseball player. He gets up there. He gets up there on the mound and has a huge windup and then throws a curve and misses everybody in the house. Well, I'm not trying to miss you tonight. I'm trying to hit you. You know, someone may come out the door tonight and say, Oh, Brother Dawson, you really stepped on my toes tonight. You hit me. Well, let me apologize in advance if I stepped on your toes because I was aiming for your heart, not your toes. We need to have a change of heart in order that we can be like our Lord Jesus. And so preaching, powerful preaching in the Bible, quality preaching wasn't just a rambling around and stringing a bunch of verses together. It had a goal. It had a name. It had a purpose. When people in the Bible heard preaching in the book of Acts, they learned what their condition was. You know Acts 2.36. You've probably got it memorized. When Peter on the day of Pentecost is drawing his sermon to a close, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that is to believe with confidence, that this Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Think about that. How that must have impacted those people. They learned they were in real trouble with God. Peter could have been so tactful and say, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you all have done a few things you shouldn't have really done and uh, God would like for you to do better. No, sir. This Jesus whom you crucified... 
God made him Lord in Christ. And they were pricked in their heart. And they cried out to Peter and to the rest of the apostles saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, be immersed. Every one of you, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift of salvation. So people learned what their condition was. And secondly, they learned what they needed to do to get in the right condition with God. And that's the way powerful preaching ought to be. It's not about telling funny stories. I realize that there's a place where we might tell some, give some illustration that might be humorous. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it illustrates. But preachers are not comedians. They're not entertainers. They are proclaimers. They declare the counsel of God. And every time that a man stands up to preach, whether it's Mike or Max, you should ask yourself, how am I drawn closer to God? By this lesson, in some way, can I make application of this lesson to my life and circumstances so that I'm more like Christ? And if I can't do that, something is missing. So you need, to, you need to demand that. But here's the second thing. Demand quality Bible classes. I'm afraid that in some places, or maybe I should say in the hearts of some Christians, they have a consumer mentality. Well, we'll attend this church for a while and we'll see what they have to offer. And if we like it there, if they offer what we want, we just might place membership there. And I realize there's a place where that's valid. But I think in the case of so many people, they treat local churches like they treat the local Walmart. Every town has a Walmart. You probably have three or four of them here in the, in the lower valley. You have a Target store? You have a Target store. What about uh, Kmart? You still have Kmart. You're one of those rare communities that still has one. You see, what happens, and what's been happening now for 20 years, people got, they didn't like Kmart. Didn't like it. Kmart stores had a reputation for whatever. I'm not going to speak on that. But people said, I like Walmart better. I like Target better. That's why Kmarts are closing down all over the country, and they've been doing it now for more than 20 years. See, there's a consumer mentality. You want to go into a store that looks clean. Everything is neat and organized. You've got great customer service. You've got great prices. You are a consumer. And you're going to go to the place that you think is best for the consumer. I'll tell you what you don't do when you go to Kmart or Target or Walmart. If someone has dropped a jar of, must uh, of mustard on aisle 13... You don't go get a mop and a rag and clean it up. Because you are not part of that group. You're not part of, you're not part of Walmart. You're not part of Target. You're there as a consumer. And if you don't like the product that they're giving, you will simply go somewhere else. Now that's the way some people treat churches. They come as consumers to a local church. I'm here to see what this church will do for me. They don't ever think of getting involved in the process of manufacturing, making edification take place. They rather think in terms of, is this church going to edify me? And a part of that, 
is having quality Bible classes. I'll tell you what doesn't make for quality Bible classes. For the preacher to pass out a little workbook, a question book, and you go along and you try to guess the answers and you fill in the blanks and you come to class ill-prepared to discuss the lesson. Or some, some people, they get the book and they leave the book at home when it comes time for Bible class because they haven't studied and they're not intending to study. They're not intending to engage in the discussion. Now, maybe in this congregation, maybe everyone, you have your lesson well prepared and you are ready for Sunday morning discussion. God bless you. But in a lot of places, it is not that way. You want the best for yourself. You want the best for your kids. So you've got to get engaged in building quality Bible classes. Don't leave it up to the teacher. Do your part in making it better. And when you do that, you'll be creating within the congregation edification. But here's the third one. You see, we can demand quality preaching. Oh, we want Warren to do this, that, and the other. We demand that he present lessons like this. Well, we demand quality Bible classes. We want the best teacher we can get. But we don't make many demands of ourselves. And you need, if you're going to be edified, if you're going to be made like the Lord Jesus, you've got to make demands of yourself. We're great at making demands of others. But it's time. It's time for me to look at myself and my brother and see what can I do to be built up and how can I reach out and touch the lives of others. We've got to recognize that we're personally accountable. Someone says, well, I, I attended Bible class for two or three, four weeks, but I didn't learn anything. It wasn't benefiting me. What were you putting into the Bible class, my friend? If you're wanting to glorify God, you better put something into the Bible class. Again, get involved not just in being a consumer, but in being a manufacturer of edification. We are personally accountable. You're, you're familiar with 2 Timothy 2.15. The old King James Version says, Study to show yourself approved unto God. Here, this translation that I'm using, the new King James, says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, he said. Examine yourself. Oh, it's easy to examine others. Well, we'll look at the preacher and say, you know, I didn't think he did a very good job tonight. He missed a couple of points he should have made. We can examine others and, and we'll be critical of a Bible class teacher. How about being critical of ourselves and doing a self-examination? That's what God says us that we're supposed to do. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And then in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, I was looking at this verse just before we got up to begin the service tonight. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, now as in my, as in, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, you have responsibility in this. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This means you've got to learn the scriptures and you've got to apply the word of God to your life.
If you want to give glory to God, it's time to hold yourself accountable. Yeah, we hold others accountable. It's time for you to look in the mirror and say, I am accountable to God to study for myself. I want to give Him glory. And so that's your intent. And so what do you require of yourself? I think it's time for us to say this. I am never going to be, I am never going to be what Jesus wants me to be until I learn of Him. I will never truly be His disciples, truly be His disciple until I put His Word to work in my life. I would ask you a question here at the end of the lesson. And, and if you've got the outline, you see the blank. And so you can get your pencil out. Maybe you've already done it. Maybe you've already put a, a word in there. Do you believe God's plan is sufficient to take you to heaven? If so, then let's be about the business of working God's plan. Let's be what God really wants us to be, like our Lord Jesus. And as long as we don't grow, as long as we don't mature in the faith, we're not going to be able to give God the glory that He deserves from our lives. So let's do the work. Let's encourage and help one another on the way to heaven. We're on a journey. Peter said this. He said, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. What he means is this world is not our home. We're going some other place and we need to help each other along the way. I heard Mark Roberts one time tell a story about an eight-year-old girl in Bible class, third grade Bible class. And this little girl, it was obvious, she was very shy, very shy, and had been hurt in life. She was the victim of abuse in a home. And she'd been tossed from one place to another. But on one occasion, the teacher was talking to the kids about heaven, how wonderful heaven is, how glorious it's going to be. We're going to be able to be at peace forever. Life is going to be wonderful forever and ever. We'll be with God. We'll be with His Son, Jesus. And the little girl spoke up and meekly asked the question, Is heaven for people like me? You think about that. There are people... There may be people in this auditorium tonight who are asking themselves that question. Is heaven for people like me? Oh, it is. And you may be hurting in life. You may have been the victim of cruelty and abuse and prejudice and hatred. But heaven is for people like you. God wants you to be there. And on your way there, He wants you to be built up to be like His Son. That's our mission in life, to become like Jesus and to be a part of a body of believers where we're helping one another to become like Jesus. And so we, we reach down and we pick up those that are fallen. We, we let the hurting lean on us. We encourage those who are discouraged. We help each other on the way, on the long journey into eternity. If tonight you need to obey the gospel, if you believe in Jesus, repent of sin and confess Jesus and we'll baptize you into Christ. If you've done that in the past, but you've wandered away, it's time to come back home, my friend. Come on now while we stand and while we sing the song that's been selected. Come now, please.
as God is.